All right, so one thing I want to let you know about, uh, Larry Dean has put together a first annual bass fishing tournament for South Spring. So it's pretty cool. He's got all the rules on here. You can find the sign-up sheet is out there on the welcome desk. You can grab and register. He said he's got over $1,000 in prizes and giveaways. Like, I think that's each. So total of $2,000. So I told him if it rains, I'm probably going to come sign up last minute. I can't, I can't fish to save my life, but I mean, if no one else shows up, I'll do all right. So uh, do I have to, I was going to say, do I have to catch at one? Can I win if I don't catch any, if no one else comes? Um, so if that's your thing, if, if that's something you're interested into or would like to just go out there and hang out with those guys or whatever, um, he's got a few who have signed up already, but anyway, grab hold of that. That's just fun. That's a really fun idea. Um, okay, definitely, our, we, this looks like we're missing a table or two after Easter. Yes? All right, so this has been, uh, I may say my brain's going to be moving through sludge today. This has been one of those days for me, so... Uh, um, uh, we'll open in prayer and then get, get started on the conversation but, uh, and catch everybody up. And then Paul is now here because we now have a student minister up the hill. So he's free at last. Um, <laughs> so let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for these men. And I thank you that uh, we can gather and that we can prepare and that we can remove excuses and... Um, Lord, I pray that uh, this will be a valuable time, even though um, I'm pretty toast tonight. So I pray that you would um, guide our conversation, help it to be encouraging to each other, glorifying to you. And um, Lord, there were a a lot of people at a funeral today, and I know some of them were um, not just lost, but but directly in opposition to you. And so I I pray that they will learn and uh, grow and hear the message today in such a way that it would, it would, your spirit would prepare their hearts to hear it, to continue to respond to it. Lord, I pray that they would put their faith in you. Um, I know that would be a great blessing to that family. Thank you, Lord, for all of the things that you're doing and what you continue to do in your son's name. Amen. Um, All right, so jumping in back into the conversation on discipleship, the first thing um, we define discipleship as the intentional process of influencing someone to become more like you in some way or ways that you are more like Christ. Um, so those are, that, that concept is taken from uh, Matthew 20, 10, 25. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. So again, I'm, I know I'm repeating. You've heard these hopefully, and hopefully they'll work their way in. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators as, of me as I am an imitator of Christ. And 2 Timothy 2, 2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Those are kind of the three key passages for our discipleship philosophy um, that I think is important. So um, last time we got into the conversation of what are the barriers? What keeps us from having discipleship relationships? What, what, what keeps us? What are the things that are in the way? Uh, so you discussed those at your tables Here's some of the answers already that we got, and we'll continue with this today. So one was time. Um, As we talked about that, if you remember, we kind of came away with saying that that really should probably be value, Um, because time is a resource. We could say money or something else, but it's a resource. Do we value something enough to invest it in there? Um, So one is time. Second was commitment, Um, the decision to be involved in it. 
separate from that is the desire to be involved in it. And then we had pride gets in the way. Um, either the one end of pride, which is I have it all together. And then the other end of pride, which is I might do more harm than good, as if it's all about us. Um, and then number six was insecure. I don't want anyone to know me that well. Um, I don't want them to know me well enough to be able to follow me. And that's how far we had gotten. So do you remember back if we, should we discuss at the tables a little more again that question? Or do you want, let's first, let's see if anybody has any others you remember from your discussion before. What other, what other things? Yes, sir. Okay. So being shy or introverted, like. Okay. How's it different from being insecure? I believe you. I just. Okay, so because you're more introverted, because someone might be more introverted, it's harder to have that initial conversation. Once you, so one of the things that's interesting about like temperament like that is for introverted people, typically once the relationship is going, I think discipleship works very well for introverted people. You get to know someone well, you feel comfortable around them, they can talk with you, you can talk with them. Like, but I can see how that first out-of-the-box part of it would be tough. Is that other introverted people in the room? How do you, how do you, what do you do with that? How do you deal with it? I can see that. Yeah, Dave. Uh, as an introvert, I, I find the easiest way to begin a relationship with somebody new is to center it around some sort of activity that's maybe not viewed as quite so intimate. Okay. You can change the initial conversation to something that's not quite so intimate and then work your way in that direction. Okay. Okay, good, good. There's a little bit of that men typically don't communicate facing each other. They, they tend to communicate better facing in the same direction. So there's, I think that would doubly be true for introverts probably, I assume. Yes, sir? Right. Okay. So part of it is doing the hard thing. Yeah. So that's, I mean, certainly part of it is just, is just pushing, making the decision to do it. You've done it with other things before. You can figure out how to do it if you have to. Good. It, it is intriguing. So here's, here's what seems to be the harder part. Um, a lot of times, and if, especially if you're an extrovert and probably about half of us in the room are, that typically works out pretty close to that. But, um, that one of the things that extroverts, most extroverts don't know about introverts is that part of what makes any conversation hard on introverts is that for some weird reason, and no one knows really why, introverts feel more of the burden to maintain the conversation. Um, if you're sitting in a, a group of people and you kind of have that awkward silence, you would think that the introverts would be like, finally, silence. They're not. They're panicked. They feel awkward. And awkward is the worst feeling for most introverts. That emotion is the worst one. They feel awkward. Like, I'm, pr I'm probably the one screwing this up. I should be saying something. Like, I, I should be talking now, and I'm not. I should think of something to say, and I'm not. I'm not. The, the irony is the extroverts, the ones who are, it, like, they sit in silence, and they're not even usually all that concerned about it. Extroverts literally can go longer in conversational silence than introverts can typically. 
um, which is, is, is counterintuitive, but that's actually how that works because that awkward responsibility and I think kind of the assumption that they're the ones who are somehow messing up the whole conversation dance is there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you feel stupid. Right. If you don't get to plan ahead. Well, one of the things we're going to look at, we'll hopefully start before the end of, of this time talking, because they've got three left after this, is what do you do in the first conversation? So if, if that's what's in the way is you wouldn't know how to start, well, good. Then we'll, we'll dash that one before we're done. This is how you would start that first conversation. But, um, okay, so, so, we'll talk, so temperament is one. Another thing that can get in the way. What else? What's any other barriers you can think of? Okay. Wow, that's a great, that's a good point. So it's like, it feels more like a marriage than just a casual type of thing. That's a good. With no courting, so. Yeah. Two weeks in, you're like, I don't know That's a great, okay, I hadn't thought about that one. So somebody else talk through that. I want to hear that from other people. Or, or more. You know, it, it's been my experience, you know, whether it's discipleship or an accountability partner. Right. It, it drops off after about two weeks because you know, the person didn't realize how long of the commitment is going to be. And, you know, and sometimes in discipleship, you know, you touch on some uncomfortable subjects and the other person just, you know, doesn't want to stay and dwell in that area for any period of time. Okay. So, Yeah. Okay. Good. It's tough. It is hard. Right. You know, we're going to reemphasize over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this, but next fall, we're going to really reemphasize uh, life groups here at this church because through the transition, we've hit, we've had two semesters in a row that we've almost just been like, let's just see if we can keep this from dying another couple of semesters. But then they really reemphasize that. But part, I was always opposed to the life group model because it seemed like forced intimacy. You know, go, let's get together with a bunch of people and, and you know, be, uh, have intimate relationships with lots of people and, by pro, and program that. And I always thought that just never worked. I mean, it was awkward. And then when you did decide it was the wrong thing to do, then it was like, I mean, you split the church when, you, when you, somebody's like, why aren't y'all coming to life group anymore? Like, it, we have to choose sides on this. And it seems so bad. And so that's why we said our only purpose for life groups really is just to make friends. I mean, get to know somebody else new. Man, if you get to know somebody else well enough and you go, I, you know what, I could, I could really see being in a discipleship relationship with this person. Great, then do that. But the idea of trying to program it or force it or whatever, I, I agree, especially with men, it's just not going to work. And so that's, but if we don't ever have any friendships, then we, we're never going to make any friends who we can then have that type of relationship with. So, yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's all on purpose that we do it semester based so that it's not hard to gracefully stop going yeah. or for the teacher to gracefully stop teaching, you know? So yeah, that would, that was also intentional. So it is, it does feel like a big commitment from the beginning. And I guess in some sense it, it is, I don't know that there's a way to rescue us from that. Um, I mean, I, I think probably there are good ways to 
back out of it gracefully if you realize you've made a mistake in some way. But, but beyond that, yeah, yes, sir. I, I know we talked about insecurity and stuff like that, but maybe we talked about it. I'll just zone out for a second. But the fear, and it's, it's going to the opposite end of the spectrum of it's the fear of not being accepted. It's like, hey, I would love to mentor you, and they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and vice versa. If yeah. I'm a mentor, but hey, I love you, mentor me. Like, yeah, I don't know about that. You know? Yeah. It's a, just a fear of maybe they won't want to do this. So then you don't. Right. Yeah, I think I think legitimately rejection is is a big part of what's hard for us about this, one direction or the other. Yeah. Oh, and I was going to say to go along with that is uh, kind of the fear of not being successful. Like, you you say, okay, here maybe what I want to see in this person after a while, and then you know it takes time, but you don't see it, so you think, right. oh, I'm not doing a good job, but maybe you are, and it's just in a way you're not aware of. Yeah. I would say both of those. So the fear of rejection or the fear of failure, I mean, I, I think that's, I think it's legitimate. Again, I don't know that there is a, a way to protect ourselves from facing that fear and and dealing with it. It, it is, it has been over the years shocking to me. I mean, I, I don't know if I've said this to you guys before, but like, uh, it, one of the coolest things about my job is that I can schedule meeting with, meetings with people who would normally cost thousands of dollars to schedule meetings with. I mean, I just that blows my mind when, uh, I think I told you guys, I think I mentioned it from the pulpit one day that discussing this transition, when the first words of the transition came out, and, and I'm like, what do I do with this? So I, I scheduled a meeting with David Lake and Newt Farah and Steve Dement. And we all met in Steve's office. And as I'm walking in, I just, it suddenly just struck me like, what would it cost me to hire these three men for the next two hours to, to I mean, like, I mean, is that, is that a $2,000 an hour meeting that I would have been having? And, and here these guys are just scheduling to meet with me. Like, <laughs> you would, it's certainly worth more than that, right? I mean, but when you stop and think about, so, yeah, I mean, someone who somebody else has to pay large amounts of money or something like that the fact that they're willing to sit down and mentor, even for a little while. And, and it may even be that maybe part of what we need to have as part of our culture here is that part of our culture for discipleship is, you know, after three times of hanging out, you have a conversation about it. Is this a good fit? Have we done what we wanted to do? Do we want to... I mean, maybe that is part of our culture at this campus, at this church, is that we start developing... We get to decide how we do this. And so is that part of it is that we say, hey, you know what, we're going to do it. We're going to court for three weeks. <laughs> exactly. And then have the let's be just be friends, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Or start charging one of the two. That's right. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like, I feel like if we can, as men, all acknowledge that these are all concerns and fears and barriers that we have, then we enter in the discipleship relationship all aware of that. And so we can have those conversations and, yeah, and stuff like that. That's, that's part of this. I mean, I, I don't know. That's an interesting question is, is there a little bit of the, how many different people do you have to ask to mentor you or disciple you before you find the right person? Or how many different people do you have to ask? And mentoring relationships, remember, they're not defined from the sense of like, well, they're 10 weeks long and you go through this book. They're not I mean, a mentoring relationship may be one meeting. I mean, that may be one big part of it, is that you meet with this person one time and, and you get a lot from that meeting and then that's what you can do and that's all they can do or whatever. All that's, like, I, I don't think it's a, what we, what we don't want to do 
which is our habit, is to figure out a way to program it, measure it. Like, part of me is like, I'm not sure you can fail at this. I'm not sure there is a failure if you're making some effort. If you're intentionally trying to have this relationship and the other person doesn't want to, that's not, that's not failure or they don't grow like you would hope. Is that failure? I mean, that's, that's results-oriented like evaluation and there's a place for that and I'm not but uh, the fundamentally obedience is the measure of success for us as Christians we we either do what God has called us to do or we don't how that plays out is not always I mean we can help do our part to make it go well but and and I'll also tell you like I, I I have done a lot of discipleship that I did not know what I was doing so that's a lot of times discipleship is just making yourself available to spend time with somebody. And it's amazing how often, uh, I think I have made a career out of outrunning other campers. Um, not, not, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun other campers. I, th- I think that's a, my job is to just stay a little bit ahead of the average, or at least a little bit ahead of the slowest person, right? So I, I think there's something to stepping into it and starting to do it. Again, I'm not, I'm not encouraging laziness or unpreparedness, but I think the success fear is something we need to challenge exactly what, is there a success, is there a failure outside of not doing it or not attempting it? I'm not convinced there is. What else? Any others? Barriers? That would, that would, we talked about, the first week we talked about who introduced you to pornography. So that would be, that would be discipleship. It would just be unintentional discipleship. So by intentional, we, we mean intentionally, like making that effort, doing that on purpose. Right. Yeah, that was, that's under one of the, uh, that I'm not enough. That's just pride. It's just another version of pride because we still think it's about us. We're just saying it's not about me and I don't have what it takes, so I don't do it versus it's really about obedience. Yeah. I think this point would have been more fitting probably about a minute ago, but uh, I hate to use this analogy because of what I'm comparing it to. Um, You know, sometimes there's couples out there that, live as though they're married but they're not legally married Mm -hmm. and for some reason whenever they go through the ceremony and have the piece of paper that says that they're married that's when the relationship falls apart Mm -hmm. and so you know i think that sometimes mentorship just happens and you know it's a relationship that works fine whenever you're not really defining it and calling it what it is Mm -hmm. but you know I I think whenever you say hey I want to mentor you that's when things get weird can can and I think a lot of times mentorship just happens sure absolutely we when we said earlier so friendship is just mutual discipleship I mean that's what friendship is it's mutual discipleship. Marriage right, should be mutual discipleship. Right. Following yep. Gr- growing closer to Christ from each other, learning how to do that from each other. Having this discipleship focus. When I can be a friend, I, I can have a friend or a acquaintance and not have the focus of that relationship being right. we're going to work together to better follow Christ. Right. But if it's not, if there's not an intentionality to it, it just doesn't. Right, that's what happen. I mean. So right. the intentionality doesn't necessarily have to be, I'm going to disciple you. Right, absolutely. Disciple me. We need to become more like Christ. Let's try to do that, team up, and do that. Together. Absolutely. That would certainly count as the same thing. Yes, sir. I also think somewhat, too, of 
gave you the command to baptize. So what's your response? I said, well, Lord, every time I stood out in that lake, I mean, I, I baptized every single person who walked out there next to me. I dunked them. And that, how many was that? Well, that was zero because somebody, somebody came out into the lake with me. Well, did you invite anybody to the lake? No, no, but I was willing. I was there, ready to do it the moment you sent me somebody. You just didn't send me somebody. Well, what about all these other people that were around your circle? Did you ever ask them? Well, no, no, no. I was out in the lake not asking them. I was ready to go. You know, like there's some point of like intentionality to me is that mark of the difference of like, even if, even if it's not even successful, it's still, okay, Lord, you told, and I've tried. That's that's my step. In. I'm not just like waiting around again, like, yes, Lord, I will obey you as soon as you provide every single step that I don't actually have to wake up. You know, that's, it doesn't seem like it's kind of the investment level. So that let's, let's clarify by intentional, we don't mean programmed. So somebody else could disciple you in a totally different way yeah. and it still be effective, yeah. still be discipleship. For our sake, what we're measuring, what we're calling discipleship is an intentional, that the, here is the intention for us to draw one another near to Christ, for me to become more like Christ because you are more like Christ, or for you to become more like Christ because I am more like Christ, or both. And so friendship is going to be both. And in a healthy discipleship relationship, there's always going to be some both. I mean, that's rarely is there such a one-sided discipleship relationship, that there's nothing that the mentee can teach the mentor. That, that would seem odd. But yeah, and that's a, but that's what by intentional we mean. It's, it's not casual. It's not random. It's not accidental. It is, now those all things happen. So it's not that those things don't happen and that they don't matter or that they don't count. That's not the that's not the argument that's that I'm, that I'm making from this. It is that for the sake of what we're calling discipleship here, it is that we would be intentionally pursuing these relationships that have an intentionality to them. Why are you hanging out with this person? Why are you spending time with this person? And it would be either <clears throat> I'm helping them become more like me in some way because I'm more like Christ or they're helping me become more like Christ because they are more like Christ in this way, or both. Like, that's what we're saying. That's the intention of the time spent together. That may be very regimented. It may be, I mean, you may, you're running somebody trained in the Navigator's format. Okay, and it's going to be very much so. Like, here's the Navigator plan, which is brilliant. I mean, fantastic. Um, it may be more along the lines of what, John Redfern has called our times before like of meaningless time with meaningful men and it's not, as, it's not so directed. So sometimes it's very focused and sometimes it's not. So some of that, some of that transitions over time as well. Yeah. I have a question. Yes, sir. Can discipleship or mentorship be kind of covert? Um, as in, like I'm around this, like for example, if you're around someone often, like in a family or work setting. Sure, sure. And you say, this guy or person needs to be directed, but he obviously is not going to be in a discipleship mindset. Yeah. To covertly, <laughs> I'm going to disciple him. Or vice versa, this guy knows a lot. I'm going to always ask him questions. Yeah. Is that possible? That was me tricking Bobby into discipling a bunch of guys for a while. <laughs> we would. I told Bobby, like, I want to get some time with you, and we're going to study the book of Timothy, and... Then I invited like six other people to be there as well. I'm like, so the idea is like, it doesn't really matter if the other person is in it or not. 
I, I mean, I think it matters. Does it count? I don't know. Like, is that, does that count on the test? I don't, I don't, I, I mean, certainly it sounds like you, it's someone who you're intentionally trying to influence to become more like Christ. So, I mean, I, I certainly think it would fit that definition potentially. I think it would be a goal that at some point that would be a known thing. But no, I mean, I think anybody who we would seek out that from, it, it doesn't have to be called discipleship to be disciple. Maybe that's the question being asked, you know, is it, does it have to be called this? Well, no, obviously not. I mean, it doesn't have to be called something. It's a, it, yeah. Dr. Schemberger used to go into the sports store where Terry Cooper worked. And he was discipling Terry. He was going in there and asking him about fishing lures, buying stuff, even fish. <laughs> yeah. He bought tons of stuff. So developing that kind of relationship with somebody. Yeah, he covertly yeah. got that and then mentored and him. Yeah. I think, I think back to Paul's example. So when we're standing before God and he says, let's talk about discipleship, I called you to make disciples. I, I, don't, think, I don't think if, you know, I don't think God's going to say like, no, no, Chamberger, that didn't count. Terry didn't know it was discipleship, so that doesn't count. Like, uh, obviously, that's, I don't think that's the same sort of... That's yeah. To build that first, yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir? <laughs> and I just will tell you, I mean, the reason why I don't do it a lot is I can only pin so many fishing poles. Right. And they all live at my house right now. Yeah. And I don't have any effort or energy to build another fishing pole. And, and so my question is, how many fish am I going to eat tonight? Well, if I got enough to feed my family, that's successful. Could I caught more fish? Yeah. If I bought a trot line, maybe so. If I threw a net out there, yeah, probably. But at the end of the day, for me, as a dad and a husband, it's not nearly as important how many fish I caught, but what was the purpose and how useful uh, they were. And again, I don't know if that's how the Lord said, hey, Frank, well, you only got six, but there were six good ones. <laughs> and what I was looking for was 12. Ooh, that's not, that's not I don't think those have to be in competition. So here, here's what I would, True. like from one perspective. I think, I, don't, I think we think of it that way, though. Right. You know what I'm yeah. I don't think that they have to be that so if you've ever heard me teach parenting, parenting is just the ultimate expression of discipleship. And so it, it is the purest form of discipleship. This is a person who I have all authority over and who they live in my home and they can't escape me. <clears throat> and so everything I do should be intentionally making, helping them become near to Christ because I'm near to Christ. Like everything should be defined that way in regards to parenting. So that's like parenting is, I think, probably the easiest and ultimate expression and the main place probably where most men fail to disciple because they're not intentional parents. They're, they're reactive parents. They're, they're responsive parents, but they're never intentional parents. They don't seek out. They don't model God well with their children. And all of us do a 
piss poor job at some level. I mean, relative to God, obviously. But, but that's our job as dads. I think the measurement of success for a dad is how far, when my children realized I'm, when they realize I'm not God, and that, I, and that I'm not father, but there is a father, my measure of success is how far do they have to turn their neck from me to God. And the shorter space, the more successful I've been as a dad. And so that's, that's kind of how I measure that. So certainly. Now, that being said, I would challenge the thought that, that there's not a way to cheat something, maybe not family, but to cheat something in order to have that intentional time within the community of the church. And one reason is parenting. Like one reason I want to disciple is so that my children see me discipling other men as well. Um, I, I will tell you, it was a, I did not know this until I did it, but when Mark was going to turn 14 and I wanted to do a special party for him, I would never have counted this as a measure of success until the day when I said, hey, Mark, um, we're not inviting any kids to, your, to this party I want to throw for you, but I'd like for you to give me the list of men who are friends of mine who you respect. And Mark listed 20 men, just like, I mean, 20, bam, 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 20 different men like that. And, and I would never have realized until he did that, okay, I, I need to have this as a measure of success. How many men can my children name who are friends of mine who they respect? And we ended up inviting almost 40 guys that, and he named 20 immediately, but that was like realizing I, I would have been able to name two, one of whom I would not have wanted there. Like I had no respect for as a, you know, hey, who, who you would like, men who you like to speak into your life. I'd have been like, well, Dad, these, I only know two friends you have, and one of them I would not want him speaking into my life as a 14-year-old. And so that's part of the challenge as well. Again, that's only in the end, it is important to remember that we only answer to God for our Christian walk, um, not, not Chris or the church, or only God. And so that's, that's important. But I would still challenge, I would still say, even with a bunch of kids you're trying to disciple and even with a, a wife you're trying to lead, I think... I think there probably has still got to be some way, if not now, then at some point that you could model that even for them. But, but not at the failure of children. Right. If, you, if, you, if you had the biggest church in the world and lost your kids, you've, in my opinion, you've failed. Yeah, That's, I think King David represents at that level a failure. Samuel at that level represents a failure. So yeah, so don't, don't hear me minimizing. You know my opinion on that, but yeah. It's, I don't know that there's a correct answer for this. Um, there was a group that I used to work with, a ministry called Search Ministry, and, and they divided out negative 10 to positive 10, and they said negative 10 to 1 is evangelism, and 1 to positive 10 is discipleship. Now, they know that's totally arbitrary. Conversion is 0 to 1. That's, that's how they, and so, but, I mean, they, they recognize, like, that's not like you can turn to the book of, you know, James chapter 4 where it says that. I, I think you would say, evangelism to share the good news. Discipleship is then a form of evangelism, but discipleship is drawing someone near to Christ, which means evangelism is a form of discipleship. So I, I, I don't know exactly. I, I would divide it out. In my mind, I divide it out as evangelism is what I interact with a non-believer and discipleship is interacting with a believer, but that's just my mind. I mean, I, I don't know that, that helps anybody in any way, but they clearly overlap a ton. I mean, like, you know, Schamberger coming in and buying fishing gear from somebody to develop a relationship. Well, is that evangelism or is that discipleship? Or is it, well, I mean, yes, I guess. And, and then to really complicate matters, 
we don't know who's lost and who isn't in reality. So, so even if we did know, we'd still be, anyway, that's a great question. I don't know that we would pit them against each other. I think they, they're kind of a little bit of one and the same in some ways. Simple understanding in my mind, though. Good stuff. Any others? Yes, sir. You've talked in the past about how you've had some relationships where, like, that's a quality I see. I wanted to vote more about that. Yes. To what extent should there be kind of specific goals going into As far as the specific goals, that's helped me when I'm choosing who I want to disciple me. Um, so, like, when I know what I need to be working on, that helps me choose somebody to help me work on that. And so that's a um, humility being the example I use all the time and realizing that, that I, I was desperately in need of learning how to live as a humble man. So then that once, I, once, once I realized that, then it became how do I find one? And so that's how I mean from a goal-oriented perspective, if I'm trying to learn and grow in a certain way, that's good for me to know so that I can hunt down the right person to disciple me in that. Um, and I think the same thing might be true the other way. If I know that, that there's something that, that I feel like I do pretty well or understand pretty well, and then I see somebody who I think they need to know that but don't know it or they're going to need that for their ministry but don't have it, then maybe I should pursue them in particular and say, like, let me, let me come alongside you with that. Um, but that's, that's the... I don't know that it's required. There's any requirement to do it that way. It may just be, here's somebody I respect, and so I want to learn and grow from them. Uh, I want to gain understanding from them. So I don't know that it has to be that specific. That's just how I've done it. Because that otherwise I don't know who to choose. Um, anyway, good, good question. All right. So I'll spend these next few minutes on this. What is the, those of you who have been involved in discipleship relationships or you have an image of what you think that would look like, that first time to hang out with this person, what does that, what, what does that need to include? What do you think is, are good things to include in that? What are, where do you want to start? So assuming that you've agreed, someone's come to you and said, hey, I want you to disciple me, or you've gone to somebody and said, would you mind mentoring me, and I do use those terms totally interchangeably, what, what do you want to happen first conversation or first meeting time? Hear expectations. I mean, if you want to put it technically, why are we here? I mean, the first meeting would be, why are we here? Okay. If it's an intentional thing, yeah. I agree that there are ways that you could sort of mold Yeah. The idea that, hey, the two of us or the three of us or the four of us, we're going to get together and, and do this thing called discipleship. I think the first time you get together, it's okay, so let's come up with an action plan. Make sure we're on the same page for why we're here. Yeah. How do we want to try okay. it? You know, is everybody, you know, the things that are all furniture are not all furniture? Okay. I would think that would be part of it. Yeah. What do these, what do these look like? Yeah. I think that's a fair, if that's even part of it, if the answer is, I mean, those don't have to be, those don't always have to be defined, but you can certainly have that conversation. I think that's fine. Again, you don't want to get carried away with technicalities in the first, I, I do like the idea of, you need to know their story. 
I mean, I think that's a great way to start, no matter what you're doing is, all right, tell me your story. Or if you're, and actually, if you're the mentor, it may be you start with, let me tell you my story. Um, I always think the mentors should take the risks, the first risks whenever possible. And so let me tell you my story. And, and that way the mentor is defining and, that, and, and the way they tell their story. So, if, you know, if, if I'm telling my story and I say, so when I was five, my, you know, a bunch of friends in the neighborhood, one guy stole dad's Playboy magazine and we all went out in the woods and looked at, at his dad's Playboy magazine. And, and I remember the cartoon that was in, did I tell you all that part of it? Even though I didn't get the joke, I still remember it. And then when I was 19 and suddenly got the joke, like, oh, that's why that's funny. But I didn't when I was a kid. And so, and then, you know, that I, I was always in seeking mode from about 18 until my early 20s that I was always in seeking mode. I was never willing to be the overt guy. Like, I wasn't going to go buy a magazine. I mean, and there was no internet yet, praise God. And so... So, but I was always in seeking mode. I mean, I could be driving down the road at 65 miles an hour and see a magazine on the side of the road, and I knew what it was. So, I mean, I've, I have found them all over the planet. So that's a, always in that mode. Like, that was a digging through my dad's stuff, seeing if he had anything, or digging through. I mean, that was a constant for me, constant. Well, when you, when you, when you make your story and you get there, well, you've just set a tone for the rest of the conversation. My guess is they're probably going to then tell you their introduction to that and their main things they've struggled with. And Here's what I've wrestled with during this time, and here's here's where hard times for me. And this was these are my heroes, and and uh, if you, if you need that guide, that the, I don't even know all the H words, you know, history, heroes, heartbreaks. What are the others? You remember? Anyway, other words that start with H. But uh, yeah, and and I think at some point the conversation of this is when I had a right relationship with God. So I, I didn't have a right relationship with God, and then this happened. And then I had a right relationship with God that I was aware of. Like that transition is an important part of the story and you can model that for them so that they can tell it to you in the same way. But I think that's, that's, that's where I start. Here's my story. And then where's yours? And then, yeah, talking about what do we want this to look like? How can we serve each other growing? Anything else you'd want to try to put in that first conversation? Yeah, me either. I mean, yeah, exactly. When do we meet again? Type of question. Yeah. You know, whenever you say come closer to to Christ, you know that that means different things to different people because they have different struggles. And so, you know, the thing that I would kind of want to make sure of is that we, you know, we're all kind of heading towards a common goal. So mm-hmm. that, because I mean, if there's not that commonality thing. Yeah. Okay. How about how about a second conversation? So you get together another time. What would you do? Okay. How how important to you guys do you like how much do we overlap in the Baptist world especially, but how much do you guys in your experience do you overlap direct accountability with discipleship, like direct general accountability. How do y'all, where do you go with that? Okay. A lot. I mean, if I'm getting together for the second week, I'm wanting to know what you do this week, how was your week, what went on this week, you know, what were some of the good things, what were some of the bad things. Okay. Just start talking about whatever happened and see 
kind of where it goes. You know, where, where we go from there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I will tell you as as a when I'm a the mentor, a lot of times, especially in the evangelical world, someone who is coming to you and saying, Will you disciple me? What they want is accountability. And a lot of times, I mean I in my experience, sometimes I will tell them like, We'll we'll get to that, but I'm not I'd rather get to know you first and you get to know me first before we start having that conversation. You know, the 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 and even, I mean, a friend and I, after about four years, we, and we, every year we would re-examine and re-identify our accountability questions and the way we engage with those. And, and, uh, it was funny. They all start, they started out with, you know, about three questions. You know, did you look at pornography or masturbate? Did you, were you, did you treat your wife the way you're supposed to? And did you study the Bible and pray the way you're supposed to? And it kind of came down to those. And it was, and, and that, that was really what it came down to. And it was very, I don't even know the right word, like, it felt carnally, fleshly, behaviorally oriented, even in the midst of accountability. And there's something too, talking about having somebody you can talk behaviorally with, but but over the by the end, it's like our list is is pretty rich by the end as our friendships grew, and we could ask not these like "Were you bad this week?" questions, but instead like "How how did you grow in?" fervor and hunger and thirst for righteousness this week? How did you feed your hunger and thirst for righteousness? And, and like it, over time, we watched this grow and it didn't become less real or less raw. It just became less just, you know, yeah. Did you eat the way you're supposed to, or did you have a donut this week or not type of questions? And so, um, yes, yeah, it wasn't just confession. That's right. Yeah. Probably very intentional focus prayer. I mean, uh, to pray for one another. Most of us, like, we'll say, you know, what do you need prayer for? And I'm going to do that. And then I go home and I've got meeting after meeting after this, after this. And I look at <clears> it. And, and I didn't really intentionally do that. Right. The week after, I should have done that right then. Yeah. And, like, that's when I think it's been most effective and most powerful and when it carries over. I, I agree. That's a, that's a, I have a friend right now who, it's his dad that we prayed for on Sunday, who by the way had already died on Saturday, but God knew before the creation of time we'd pray for his dad. But the, uh, uh, my guess is he thinks I'm discipling him, but I actually know he's discipling me and, uh, we could argue about that. But essentially what we do every week is just, what are the top, actually usually every two weeks, what are the top main things that you're facing right now in life and how can I pray for you? And then we pray. Um, and what's funny is the thing that we typically, when you run at quote run out of time, what we end up not doing is praying. And so, and so, what's funny? More than once, one of us has called the other one and said, "Like, man, we just did it again. We just got off the phone without praying for each other, and we need to pray." And so, that's a uh, prayer is always a discipline for me. No, like that kind of prayer is always a discipline for me. Um, so, that's a. I agree with you. I think I think that's powerful. Discipleship relationship, you, you've 
exactly set up a situation where it should be expected. Yeah, surely we can pray here. Surely we can. If <laughs> yeah. there's any place that I can pray for someone and not feel awkward about it, it's got to be here, right? Right. I mean, that's what this is all about. So Great point. Great point. I agree. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a, and it's you can't count on if someone's in the church that they have they have any idea how to answer any of that stuff. So it's a that's huge. Yeah. And ask for strength from the source of strength. Right. And yet we forget to do that? Forget and or remember and still don't. Right. I mean, that's a, I don't know about those of you who are married, but it was, 
it was years before I was faithful to pray daily with my wife. Because um, it just, it's just awkward. 5,000 promise keepers, sure, no problem. But in front of my wife. And I, I don't know how much of that is just, you know, she knows how bad the bathroom smells when I'm done with it. And so it's like, it doesn't, it's hard to pray with somebody who knows when you're BSing, so to speak. And so I don't know what all it is. Is it just because the enemy doesn't particularly care if I pray with 5,000 promise keepers, but he'll, he'll put his best agents on making sure I don't pray with my wife? I mean, I think there's so many different factors in that. Um, and for me, it actually was the decision that if I, if I remembered to pray, I didn't get to choose. Like if I remembered, then I prayed. If I didn't remember, I didn't feel bad about it. It was God's problem. I literally, I know this, you know, bargain with God like this, but I was like, God, your job is to remind me to pray. My job is if you remind me, I will pray. If, if she's asleep already, I will pray silently, but I will still pray. If she's awake, then we, I will pray out loud with her like every single time. And that's probably been over a decade. And I don't, I don't know that there's been more than once or twice that I have legitimately forgotten to pray. More times, I have probably defied God even on my own rules. Not many times, but probably more times than I have forgotten. So that worked for me at least to realize, okay, I've already made the decision to pray. If, But it's, that's one of those, I love the, um, uh, for those of us, you know, when you're married and you're like, I uh, have men come to me all the time saying, like, I don't know how to spiritually lead my wife. And so I go, what's, what's one thing you know you should do to spiritually lead your wife? And any guy who's been in church any time will say like, well, I know I should pray with her. Like, Good, right. Are you doing that? No. So it's, it's not a matter of, you don't know how to spiritually lead your wife because you know to do this and you're not doing it. And so you know how, you're just not. So it's a great, it's a great reminder to everybody to say, one, if you're married, make sure you're praying with your wife. If you're not married and you want to be, make sure you're praying for your wife. Um, but um, anyway, that's a, great, that's a great example of doing that because it, it, it should overcome all of these other things, the time, don't take that long, desire, decision, pride, temper, all those things. I mean, all those should go out the window, and yet instead they all end up feeding this even more so, which makes no sense, but yeah, good point. Well, on that note, I think we ought to pray. And uh, we'll wrap this up, and then we'll go into some other things. We will literally, we'll create over the next few weeks just a simple, if you want to disciple somebody, a very simple format. But you can, there's a thousand different ways to do it, and we'll hear that from one another. Uh, we'll talk about that next time, but... Um, any other, we'll pray for the Whitmans, Greg Whitman's in the hospital. Um, and he's usually here working and then, uh, the Barons are home, but I don't know what they're, anybody heard from them today? I haven't talked to them today. Yeah. What, what's their situation today? Um, they're doing better. Okay. Okay. Okay, good. Good, good. I think the Gores had their baby. So that's fun. All right. Well, let's pray. Actually, Paul, you pray for us? Sure. Thank you, man.